time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Did you get some energy out? Yeah. Ready to dig in? Yeah. Again? Yeah. I want to tell you real quick that I'm super, super, super encouraged by every one of you. Um, just sitting in my campus group every Sunday night and just seeing... Seeing these young people that are in public schools and they're literally the light of Jesus Christ to their school, it's not, they're, not, they're not playing around, you know? They're living life for Jesus. Uh, they're standing firm for their faith. And I know that all of you guys are. And last night when, when a dozen or so of you got saved here and, and then uh, they walked out with Dan and them and David asked for, you know, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. And I just saw every single one of you guys just, I mean, no one was timid. No one was held back. And you guys just raised your hand super high. And I just looked at this crowd of young people. And I just want you to know, I want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. I want you to know that you are a holy nation. That you are saints. You are. Yes, you. You're a saint. You're a holy nation. You're, you're uh, the army of God that he has chosen. You're chosen people. You are. At 13, 14 years old, you're chosen people. And there's, it's not by accident that your family lives in Colorado Springs, that you're part of Desperation Student Ministries. God is doing something unique. God is doing something special in our midst. And it's not by accident that you're a part of it. And I want you to be encouraged that you're a holy nation, that you're priests unto the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you to run the race well. It's a long-distance race. It's an endurance race. Continue to stand firm. Continue to run well. Before we dig in this morning, uh, I'm glad that we all have something to write with because throughout my talk this morning, uh, the Holy Spirit just put on my heart that He's just going to be bringing up things in your hearts and to your mind. He's going to be speaking to you. Now, the Holy Spirit speaks a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, some of the ways He speaks to us is He... He, he'll put a thought in our mind. It'll, it'll be like a knowing that we didn't know before. We'll all of a sudden know something. Sometimes it's a still small whisper. Sometimes it's someone else that you're talking to and they'll say the very words of God that you need to hear. Well, this morning as I'm talking, I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to bring up to your heart and to your mind things about you. I'm talking to you as a corporate group of people this morning. But this teaching and what God wants to do is individual. It's with each one of you. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit wants to reveal things to you that are specific for you. And the, and the things, this is, this is the thing, is that the things that, that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you, it's not necessarily bubblegum, popcorn things. It's not real fluff, fluff stuff. It's stuff that we typically don't like to hear. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you some of the sins that you're in bondage to that maybe you don't know. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you some of the... He's going to bring up some past hurts, some things that have happened in your past, some things that have have taken place in your life, some things that have happened to you. And I want you to just write those down. I want you to write down everything that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind as I talk. Does that make sense? And so... I'm just going to open us up in prayer and just ask that 
God will just open our ears to hear. God, just thank you for this time and just thank you for these saints. Lord, I just pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you'd open our ears to hear your voice. God, I just ask you for strength in my weakness. I ask you for wisdom in my foolishness. God, I pray that you would move on each one of our hearts. Father, we open our hearts to you when we say, King of glory, come in. God, we invite you this morning. We invite you into the darkest, deepest, most hurting areas of our hearts. We open up our hearts to you. We open our souls to you. You just invite God. Would you just give God free reign in your life? Just tell him, Lord, I invite you into every area of my life. Shine your light in the darkness in my heart. Say, let it be so this morning, God. Ask you that you would do a miracle in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is, a, this is a messianic passage of Scripture. Where it's talking about the Messiah. And Isaiah writes here, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the, this is about Jesus. Okay, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. When Jesus comes to the earth, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He comes to the earth and he lives his life on the earth. Perfect. And as he gets ready to enter into the ministry that the father has for him, he's tempted in the wilderness And then after that temptation, he goes forth from there, preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then there's a passage of scripture that says he goes into Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue. He goes into the church there. And he picks up the book of Isaiah. And he reads this, this passage of scripture that's about him. And he reads it before the people. This is Jesus. This, this, this is the the fruit of this scripture. This is actually happening before these people. And I just want you to imagine Jesus coming before the people and he picks up the book of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. And then Jesus looks at the people and he says, today This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How many of you know that when Jesus died on the cross and went to the grave, that he didn't stay there? The grave didn't overcome him. Jesus overcame the grave. Jesus defeated death. Jesus lives and reigns today. So when Jesus comes before these people. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, I just want to declare to you that today Jesus is declaring and proclaiming the same thing over you. That Jesus is saying, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've come to bind up your broken heart. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. To those that are held captive, I proclaim liberty to the captives. I've come To proclaim freedom to the prisoners. For those that are in a prison cell. I proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Do you believe Jesus can do that for you? 
Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, I could say you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to be free. You're not called to live in bondage. You were called to live free. You were called to spread your wings. You were called to live in joy and in the fullness of life that Jesus has for each one of us. You, my friends, were called to be free. When Jesus speaks about freedom, he's talking about being free from bondage, being free from enslavement, being free from imprisonment. Now, is Jesus necessarily talking about being free from like imprisonment in prison cells, like behind bars? I think, yes, okay, yeah, he doesn't want us to be in prison. But the more, the more applicable thing here is Jesus is saying the inner chains that hold us back, the spiritual bondage that we have in our lives. He came to proclaim liberty to those that are held captive by the things going on in our spirit and the things that have happened to us that have held us captive and held us back. You, my friends, were called to be free from captivity. You, my friends, were called to be free from a prison. You weren't called to be held back. The language of slavery and bondage that Jesus is talking about is interchange, these things that hold us back. And so we see in 2 Corinthians That we fix our eyes on the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about we fix our eyes on the spiritual things that are happening. I want to tell you, the things that happen in the spirit, the things that are going on, the spiritual battles that happen over your heart and over your soul, the spiritual battles that happen over a nation, the spiritual battles that go on are what dictate what happens in the physical realm. So when I talk about physical realm, I'm talking about our bodies, the physical realm, the walls, the ceiling, the things that you see, that's the physical realm. The physical realm is subject to the spiritual realm. Not the other way around. It's not that whatever happens in the physical realm, that's what dictates what happens in the spiritual realm. It's what's going on in the spiritual realm is what dictates what happens in the physical realm. Does that make sense? So, if we break stuff in the spiritual realm, it's broken in the physical realm. If we let it go in the spiritual realm and we continue in captivity, we continue in captivity in the physical realm. It manifests itself. It, 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 the fruit of it comes out in our lives. Very simply, what makes a person lose their temper? What makes a person live in fornication? Fornication is just sexual immorality or having sex outside the bonds of marriage. What makes a person hurt themselves? Doesn't necessarily have to do with the circumstances around them, but what's going on in the spiritual realm? What's going on in their hearts? So Jesus contrasts this whole idea of slavery and freedom. He says in Galatians 5.1, as we sing the song, it was for freedom that Christ sets you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject or burdened again to a yoke of slavery. You were not called to be burdened by a yoke of slavery. When I talk about a yoke of slavery, I'm talking about the chains that hold us back, slave, being slaves to sin. Being slaves and seen through a lens of past hurts and disappointments. 
You were not called to live in slavery or bondage to any of these things. You were not called to live in bondage to curses that have been spoken over you or been passed down to you. You were called to be free. For freedom's sake, Christ has set you free. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, to live in freedom. Make no mistake about it. We're called to live in freedom. We're called to be free, a free people, freely willing and choosing to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to be free. Jesus holds the power to make you free. It's only found in one place. Freedom is not found in the culture. Freedom is not found in having lots of money. Freedom is not found in having the special job or the perfect wife. Freedom is found in Jesus. The only place you find freedom is Jesus. You turn any other direction, you don't find it. I want to explain this. This is my mock jail cell. I want to thank Chad Pry for putting this together for me. This is the door. Pretend like it's closed off here, okay? But this is my mock jail cell, okay? So, just like it looks like, even though I can go like this. (laughs) It represents a jail cell, okay? I'm going to use this prop. I want to tell you guys a story about a guy. I'm going to stick close to my notes here during this part. I just want to tell you a story about this guy. From zero to four years old, this little baby boy, he was left in his crib for hours and hours, which caused later insecurities in his life, insecurities with abandonment. This little baby boy, zero to four years old, saw a raging dad push and kick his mother. Saw a raging dad punch holes in walls. Saw a raging dad rage out, lose his temper. This little baby boy, zero to four years old, saw his broken mom breaking down mentally. This little boy, zero to four, sexually abused by a family friend. I imagine that ever since this little boy can remember, ever since he can remember, you know how you think back to your childhood and there comes a time where you just, you can't really remember when you were six months old, right? Well, I imagine that ever since this little boy can remember, he was standing on this side of this jail cell door. The things that he saw, the things that happened to him, created bondage, created slavery in his life. Ever since he can remember, this was his world. He's standing on just this side of this jail cell. Even though the baby didn't do anything to deserve it, baby didn't ask to be born in this family. Nevertheless, the things that have happened to this baby boy caused bondage, caused hurt. And this baby boy became a little boy, ages 5 to 12, continued to be mistreated by both his mom and his dad. Continually, his dad would rage out, putting him down, cussing at him, calling him a loser, telling him he'll never amount to anything. Age 5 to 12, this little boy took this abuse. His mom was so entangled in her own issues, she neglected the little boy causing more pain in that little boy's heart. 
His mom was hurting so bad, she tried to kill herself. This little boy, 5 to 12, remembers being in, this, in his house and seeing just a blood-stained carpet from that event and from that thing that happened. These things caused that little boy to feel rejected, caused him to feel unloved, caused him to feel like he was a mistake, like he had no value in life. Nobody wanted him. Nobody desired him is what this little boy felt. Through those times of ages 5 to 12, this little boy, when he's a baby, imagine he was standing kind of close to the door, you know, just, just inside of this door in this jail cell. Through those ages 5 and 12, is things that were happening to him, the things that he saw, was causing him kind of to sink deeper into this cell. Just, just farther away from the door, it's still the same cell. It was still the same imprisonment, still the same slavery. The hurt that held him bondage. Looked around, well, been in this cell since I can remember, but it's just a little bit deeper into the cell because of these things that were happening in this boy's life. Now this boy becomes a teenager. And at 13 years old, he has seen a complete misrepresentation of who God is. He feels he is so rejected by God, he decides by his own choice and his own will to go his own way. He imagines that God doesn't love him. He sees this misrepresentation of God, and he decides by his own will, I'm going to go my own way. 13 years old, he became sexually active, realizing that he was doing wrong, but somehow justifying his actions for his poor upbringing. This sexual activity that was going on in this teenager, 13 to 15 years old, caused emotional pain, caused deep wounds, caused scars that made the boy's feelings of shame and rejection and worthlessness worse and worse. This 13-, 15-year-old boy that decided to live in sexual immorality, that made that choice, caused the pains in his heart to grow worse, not better. At 16, this teenager, he began to drink and smoke pot as a way to escape the pain that haunted him every day. Both pain that was thrown upon him that he didn't ask for and pain that came by his own choices and his own will. Those things led quickly to doing harder drugs, cocaine and crystal meth and acid. Just being lost in the world, this 16-year-old boy. As he tried to escape the pain, his drinking, his drugs, his sex, it only caused deeper pain. Now his thoughts of worthlessness have gone so, so to despair that thinking about suicide, thoughts of suicide. All these things are compiling on each other, things that have happened to him, choices that he's made. He's gone deeper into despair, thoughts of worthlessness, thoughts of suicide. His willful decision to drown his captivity in drugs, alcohol, and sex caused deeper and greater captivity. Now he cuts and burns himself because he thinks somehow, somehow it brings him relief because he thinks that he deserves it. 
somehow he feels like it's just a relief. And so we see this 13 and 16-year-old teenager and all these choices that he's making to run from his feelings, to run from the shame, to run from the worthlessness. He's running in the wrong direction and he's making choices that create more and more bondage. Now he's at the back of this prison cell. Imagine maybe one arm is locked to the wall. Maybe one leg is chained to the wall. 16-year-old teenager living in bondage and slavery. Can't move this arm. Can't move this leg. He's not really functioning like what we would call a normal 16-year-old. So this teenager, now 19, his world is a painful one. He's been ticketed. He's been fined. He's been arrested and sent to rehab. He's wrecked three cars, wasted. He's nearly lost his life multiple times. He's been kicked out of college. His state at this point, 19 years old, is, is a state of total mistrust in people. He's absolutely unforgiving of other people. And he's especially unforgiving of himself. His state at this point is a state of fear, rejection, shame, sorrow, self-pity, worthlessness that are continually causing haunting suicidal thoughts and isolation. So here we have this 19-year-old and He's now bound more than he's ever been bound before. This 19-year-old, by the things that have happened to him, the things that he's seen, things that have been passed on to him, his willful decisions, his willful sin, he's now bound to the back of this prison cell. His, his arms, I imagine his arms and his legs are just bound to the back of this prison cell and he can't move. No matter how much he rages against The inside of this prison cell, he can't move, he's locked, he's imprisoned, he's in slavery, he's in bondage to the things that have happened and the things that that he's done in his life. He can't function like he was called to function. He's locked in this prison cell, so many walls in his heart and somehow sees the outside world, some other people living free, some people in their own cell. This 19-year-old now is more bound than he's ever been. His life became worse and worse by trying to go his own way to deal with his problems. I want to talk to you. I'm going to come back to my story about this guy. I want to talk to you about bondage and slavery versus freedom and liberty. The story of this guy is not the life that God has called you to live into. It's obviously not the life that he's called you to live into. And even though we know that, many, many young people will still choose to go that way. How tragic. How sad. But know this, that Jesus has called you to be free. He hasn't called you to live in a cell. Bound enslaved, imprisoned, not functioning according to who he's called you to be. When the Bible speaks about bondage and slavery. It uses terms like being slaves of corruption, being in bondage to iniquity, 
being captive to sin, held captive by sin. These, these bondages that happen in our lives, these things, being captive to sin, being in bondage to iniquity, being slaves to corruption, causes us to live and to act and to talk in ways that we were not designed to live and act and talk. Causes us to see through a lens that isn't of God. We don't see clearly. We don't think clearly. We don't act clearly. Why? Because we're enslaved. We're in bondage. We're imprisoned. It's areas of bondage. We look through this lens and you see a friend. They hurt your feelings. I can no longer be their friend. I can never trust them again. You see your parents. Oh, they're disciplining me for doing something stupid. You see through this lens, I really just hate my parents. Why are they so mean? Why are they so against me? We start to see through this lens. It's a demonic lens. It's a lens that won't allow you to function the way that God has called you to function. Freedom. Freedom speaks of the happy state of having been released from slavery to bondages and sin for a life of enjoyment and satisfaction that was not possible before. Let me say that again. Freedom speaks of the happy state of having been released from slavery and, and entering into a life of enjoyment and satisfaction that was not possible before. So our life of enjoyment and satisfaction is not possible To the fullest degree, if we're enslaved, if we're in bondage. Freedom speaks of the opposite of slavery and bondage. Freedom speaks of enjoyment. Freedom speaks of a life of relief. Liberty. Ease. When you're living in freedom compared to living in slavery, it's much easier to live. It is does have more ease for your life. When we choose to go to God for freedom, we're beginning the process, beginning the process of being released into the identity that God has called you to have. When we choose to go to God to free us up from our enslavement, we begin the process of living into the destiny and the calling of who he's called you to be. Without freedom, without levels of freedom, without growing in freedom, you will not become who God has called you to be. You were called to be free. You were called to be free. God wants you to be free. He wants you to minister to others as a free person, willingly choosing to follow him. I want to share with you five areas of access where we become enslaved and in bondage. And as I share this, I don't want you to think about the person to your left and your right. I don't want you to think about your parents or someone you know somewhere else. I want you to think about you. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your past. I want you to think about your present. Five areas of access, five main primary areas of access that we become enslaved and in bondage and put in a prison cell. The first two are self-inflicted or self-willed areas of access. 
The second two are outward circumstances that are out of our control. And the last one is a little bit of either, a little bit of both. First one is unforgiveness. In Acts 8, 23, the apostles are talking to a guy and they say, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Now the version says, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and you're captive to sin. Bitterness is a result of unforgiveness. If we let unforgiveness go untouched and we don't pay attention to it, it turns into bitterness. A lot of times that bitterness will turn into anger. A lot of times that anger will turn into hate. A lot of times that hate will give way for a spirit of murder. You see, someone doesn't wake up one day and just go commit murder. No, it's root. The root at their heart is it's years and years of unforgiveness just ignored. It's years and years of bitterness building up in their heart. It's years and years of that unforgiveness and bitterness turning to hate. Where they hate and they don't feel anymore. They commit the act of murder. When we have unforgiveness, it gives access for us to be bound. If we have unforgiveness in our life, to some degree or another, standing on this side of the door, imprisoned, not living into who God's called you to be. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no root of bitterness rise up and defile many. Our bitterness and our unforgiveness will defile those around us will affect those around us. That's one area of access. The second one is willful sin and soul ties. Ungodly soul ties, you can have ungodly soul ties from those that you've had sexual relationship with outside the bonds of marriage, that you've lived in sexual immorality with. You can have ungodly soul ties with really inappropriately close friendships that maybe you've participated in sin together. Maybe you've participated in doing drugs or whatever it is. You can have these ungodly soul ties in our lives and that gives access to bondage and slavery. Our willful sin, what it does when we willfully sin, when we willfully disobey God, when we go against what we know is right, our willful sin opens the door for the enemy to come in and bother us. It's like we have this spiritual... Remember, remember how what's going on in the spirit is what manifests in the flesh. What's going on in the spirit is what... It makes what happening, what's happening in the flesh, in the physical realm. When we willfully sin, it's like a door is just opened in our lives. And the enemy all of a sudden has some access to us that he didn't have before. Yes, that's part of the reason why the Bible says flee from sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6. Wages just means that's what you get paid. You know, when you work a job, if you're working at Starbucks or the ice cream store or whatever, every couple weeks you get a paycheck, right? Hopefully. That paycheck are, are your wages for you working. You know what you get for sin? Death. The wages, the pay that you get. What's due you as a result of your actions of sin is death. Now, I know that it's not like, well, well, I've sinned before. I mean, uh, surely, I mean, uh, all of us have sinned, but I'm not dead. I'm still alive. I'm talking. I'm here at Coram Deo. Friends, it's a spirit of death that enters into your life. Points you in the direction of a life of destruction and death. 
The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy you. He'll do that any way he can find. Willful sin is one of the ways he'll find. You will reap what you sow. If we sow in sin, we'll reap death. If we sow in righteousness, we'll reap life. Do you know that the principles of God are, just, are not just true for Christians? The principles of the Bible and the principles of God are not just true for believers who believe it. It's not like we believe it and so that makes it true. The principles of the Bible are true for every human being on the earth. You will reap what you sow. And you see that in the secular world, they take that idea, they see that idea in, in action, in life. They see that people reap what they sow and they call it karma. You know what I call it? I call it the truth. I call it the Bible, the word of God. You will reap what you sow. If you sow in sin, what you reap is death. What you reap is destruction. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Willful sin and soul ties. Area of access of bondage for our lives. Those two are self-willed. Those two are self-inflicted. Those two, you have the power and the authority and everything that God has given you for life and godliness to overcome, to actually forgive those that hurt you, to actually make an effort to not live in willful sin, to actually not live in sexual immorality, creating ungodly soul ties. The next one is kind of an outward circumstance, and it's hurts and traumas. An area of access into our life is hurts and traumas. And these are things that have happened to us When people sin, it causes collateral damage. When we, the hurts and the traumas that have happened to us, I understand that there are times where you'll experience a trauma that it wasn't necessarily inflicted by another person. But most of the time, hurts and traumas are inflicted by another human being. When people sin, when we sin, it causes collateral damage. It causes others around us to be effective Affected negatively. You with me? Many of you have been sinned against severely. Causing a lot of hurt. Some of you have been sinned against by emotional abuse. Verbal abuse. Physical abuse. Sexual abuse. Some of you have been manipulated. Some of you have been controlled. Some of you have been used. Some of you experienced violent things, horrible things, hurts and traumas that caused pain and scars in our heart and in our life and in our spirit. The hurts and traumas that were inflicted upon us, they're not our fault. But nevertheless, they have great potential to put you in bondage, to have you live out of the lens of that hurt and trauma. If a hurt and trauma goes undealt with, you see life kind of through that damage that has happened in your heart. When you don't deal with the pain, with the things that have happened to you, you don't live as God has called you to live because there's pain. Because just somehow everything in life is affected by that one thing that happened to me. You were called to be free from that. You were called to be free. The next one, the fourth area of access of bondage and slavery, 
is generational bloodline curses. I have to read a couple of these scriptures here. Exodus 20. It's God talking here. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's jealous for our affection. He's jealous for our love. And he says, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me or those who don't follow my commands, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does that mean? Very simply, that the sins of our fathers and their fathers and their fathers and mothers affect us. Tyrell, that's so unfair. I can't believe that we serve a just God, a a loving God, a God that would be, you know, deal with each one of us fairly. How can I be put in bondage because of something my grandparents did? God is a just God. He is a loving God. He is a fair God. And I want to share something with you about his nature And what he's revealing in these passages of scripture. When God is revealing himself to Moses in Exodus 34. Moses says, God, show me your glory. Show me the fullness of who you are. I want to see you for who you are, God. Show me who you are. I want to see the glory. I want to see the fullness of who you are. And God says, you can't see my face, but I'll pass by and you can see my backside. And this is what, listen to this. This is what God says as he passes by Moses. He's declaring to Moses who he is. It's Moses, right? I'm getting that right, right? Okay. Felt like I was saying the wrong name for some reason. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, Rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. So interesting that he includes the fact that he punishes the children to the third and fourth generation when he's revealing to someone who he is. Here it is, guys. If God be just, if God be just, then wickedness must be punished and righteousness must be rewarded. God is just. And wickedness is punished and righteousness is rewarded. And when Jesus, when God says here that I show love to the thousand generations, but I punish the sins to the third and fourth generation, it's expressing the heart of God that he says, listen, I'm over and beyond wanting to pour out blessings on your life. I'm over and beyond. If you love me and follow my ways, your, your children's 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 children to the thousand generations will be blessed. It's the nature of God. I want to bless you to a thousand generations. But listen to me. If you sin and you do not follow my ways, it will affect your children. It's a motivation. When you have kids, you'll realize this motivation to not sin and to live under the commandments of God. Because you know that your life directly influences your children's lives. Generational curses. Another area of access. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal... If you're under any kind of curse from your grandparents or parents, parents or whatever. The fifth one, I wasn't, I wasn't going to include this, but it, it just was on my heart this morning. And the fifth one is mental strongholds. Second Corinthians, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
Listen to the context. We cast down every argument and pretension, everything that exalts itself, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We cast down those arguments and those pretensions, and we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. No, the weapons that you have have divine power to demolish strongholds in your mind. I'm convinced that the place, the battling that happens over your soul begins with the mind. I'm convinced that the war that rages for your souls, the war of the ages that rages for your souls begins in your mind. It begins with your thoughts. If the enemy can convince you that God is not good or God is not loving, if he can convince you of lies, if you start to believe these lies, if you start to ponder these lies, if you start to be convinced of these lies, it affects everything else. That's why we need a renewed mind. That's why we need a renewed mind. So these, these mental strongholds simply... Uh, I, as simply as I could put it, are, are just that we have a wrong view of God and we've believed lies. And it's created this fortress in our mind that can't be penetrated until we repent and ask God for freedom. There's a fortress of lies in some of your minds. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you reveal it to us now. If to repent for believing that lie, God, I want to be free. You were called to be free. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. He didn't call you to a bondage of slavery. He didn't call you to a yoke of slavery. He didn't call you to be burdened by slavery. He didn't call you to have mental strongholds. He called you to be free. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. I want to finish this story this guy. We left off our story. He was 19. He was as bound as he's ever been before, just bound to the back of this prison cell, held back, can't live into who he's supposed to be and who God's called him to be. Enslaved in this prison cell. Remember, since a baby, this has been his home. He's known the inside of this cell. But now at 19, he's bound more than he's ever been bound before. And he's hit bottom before. He's hit bottom time and time again. He's hit brokenness time and time again. But now he's at a place where the pain is more than he can bear. And he sees for the first time a fork in the road. He sees a fork in the road. So you have a, you're on this path and there's two roads. And he sees down the one road. It's continuing on in drugs and sex and alcohol. For the first time, he sees where that road ends, that it ends in death. The wages of sin is death. He sees that that road ends in death. And, you know, the fear of the Lord hit this guy. And he sees that if he continues down this path, he's going to die, not when he's old, but when he's young. He's going to be dead physically and spiritually. And then he looks at the other road and, there wasn't a whole lot of description in the other road for this guy. The other road, all that was there was God. No idea what it was going to look like. No idea even really what to do. He just saw the other road and he said, that's one road I haven't tried. That's one path I haven't taken. 
and it was God. So I have a choice to make between these two roads. Finds himself choosing the road to God. Finds some people willing to pray for him. Humbles himself. He confesses deep, dark sin. Repents of his life. And in an instant, his journey of freedom begins. In an instant, he's set free from fear and lust and alcoholism. In an instant, he receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's filled up with God's Spirit. In an instant, bondages are broken. Chains are cut in half. In an instant, the slavery that he lived in so long broke free. If you haven't figured it out yet, that young man in the story is me. And I'm standing before each one of you guys as a living representation, a living example, living evidence that God offers total freedom to the darkest, most hurting person. I'm not saying that, yeah, my story's worse than yours. Maybe you've had a worse story. But I am saying that God has called you to be free. He offers freedom to you. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to know freedom. God offers it to you. And the beauty of it all is that you're at such a young age. 13, 14, 17, 18 years old. And yes, you're under some bondage, some of you. Yes, you're in some slavery, some of you. But today, my prayer is that God would begin the process of freedom in your life. And that you would never go back to a burden of slavery. No sin is greater than God. No curse is greater than God. No stronghold is stronger than God. No soul tie can overcome God. No unforgiveness can push out God's power. God is God. God defeated death. God is bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your past. He's bigger than your wounds. He wants to heal you. Wants to free you. It says in First John that if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to forgive us our sins. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.